0: Thank you, choir, for that beautiful song, and it's a great reminder of exactly what we're talking about today. Uh, It fits very well with really what we've been going through over the last several weeks, and uh, the theme of, a general theme of what we've been talking about is the idea of sanctification. The fact that when we come to faith in Christ, God does not just leave us where we are. He doesn't leave us like we are But he gives us power through his spirit. He changes our desires by his conversion in our hearts to motivate us to change. And that hopefully by the time we end our lives here on earth, we can say as that song has has saying that time has made a change in us, that we have changed as we have walked with the Lord year after year, day after day, that we are not like we were when we first came to Christ, that we have grown in holiness and we have grown in sanctification. And so today we're going to look at what is the final answer to a question that Paul has been working out since the beginning of Romans chapter 6. So we're going to be in Romans chapter 8 verses 1 through 17 this morning. And just to remind you of where we've been and the question that Paul has been working out is basically it revolves around the idea of why and how a Christian should live a moral, pure life. Why should the Christian If he has been saved by grace and if there is this other way of righteousness that is not dependent on the law and obedience to the law, but is dependent on faith in Jesus Christ, why should that person who trusts in Jesus Christ then turn around and start living uh, obedient life according to the law and according to the, the leadership of the Holy Spirit? What motivation do we have to do that? And so we find what I think is the final answer to that question in Romans chapter 8, verses 1 through 17. So let's read that together and then I'll pray and we'll get into the text today. Romans chapter 8, beginning in verse 1, God's word says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. To set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. you will live, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall into, into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we consider this beautiful text today, Lord, may we be spurred on to righteous deeds. May we be spurred on to holiness, not because uh, we can earn our way to heaven through those righteous deeds, but because we are indebted to you for your work in Jesus Christ. Because we have been changed from slaves to children. And because we are now adopted by You, we want to please You. We want to do Your will because we delight in it. Father, bless us now. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Amen. So this morning, from this text, I want you to see two points. We're going to look at the differences in flesh and spirit and the devotion... Of the spirit so first let's consider the differences in the flesh and the and the spirit from verses 1 through 11 now I've been I've been warning you for at least a month now that we have to catch this dichotomy this distinction that Paul is drawing between a life that is lived in the flesh and a life that is lived in the spirit and that uh, I've been warning you about that because we've seen it over the last few chapters, but we really see it come to the fore right here in this text. And Paul is finally going to bring to an end the answer to his question of how we can please God, how we can live in holiness, and why we should live in holiness even as a Christian. And so Paul draws this distinction between living in the flesh and living by the Spirit. Every unbeliever is naturally living in the flesh which is to say that they are first of all under the curse of adam remember back in in romans chapter 5 verse 12 we read that there is are two kings that we can live under we are either living under adam in our natural state without Christ, or we are living under Christ. And Adam, the result of living in Adam, is death. And the result of living in Christ is life. And so that all plays into this same thing that we're dealing with today. And all who are under the curse of Adam, all who are in Adam, they face judgment that will come on all those who do not believe in God, who reject God. That life in the flesh has certain pitfalls, has certain negative effects on us that we've covered already in chapter six and seven. But Paul is going to summarize them again in this text that we've just read. So let's consider a kind of a summary of the differences between the flesh and the spirit, particularly focusing on the pitfalls of the flesh. So first, in verse three, Paul says that the flesh weakens us, so that we are unable to obey the law. That remember back in chapter seven, he said that those uh, that our flesh has these habits and these desires that well up out of our bodies, which are under the curse of sin still, even if we're in Christ, and they pull us away from faithful obedience to God's law. And so as an unbeliever, all we have are those sinful desires and temptations. And yes, we might be obedient to the law out of outward desire to to please our parents, or to please the legal system, or to avoid consequences that of society, we might be obedient for those reasons, or we might make a commitment to our spouse to be faithful because we love her and we like what bring what the benefit that that brings to us. But we have no uh, overarching desire to do anything other than to live by the desires of our flesh and to please the desires of our body secondly in verse 5 it says that those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh again we've heard this before so in chapter 7 verses 21 through 25 paul said that his mind has been renewed by the holy spirit but he still has those fleshly desires and they still crop up because we, are, we haven't been resurrected yet. God hasn't given us a spiritual body yet. And so we still struggle with those sinful desires that well up over time. So here, uh, so here in this passage, those who are given over to their fleshly desires, they uh, have their minds set on the things of the flesh. In other words, they dwell on those sinful desires that well up from their flesh. They don't want to resist them. They focus on them. And third, the third pitfall is in verse six. And we find that the mind that is set on the flesh brings death. And this is yet another important contrast that Paul has been working out. So like I said earlier, Paul has already established that to live in Adam, to be apart from Christ and to be under the curse of sin, that all is characterized by death. Now, that's true in a literal sense, because all of those who are in Adam and we all are are born into sin and we're all born a part of the human race. And therefore, we all face natural death. But we... Also, if we are outside of Christ, we have a spiritual death. We don't desire the things of God. We don't know how to obey his law. We don't want to obey his law in our inner being. We wrestle with all of those things. And not only that, but the things that we do are futile, right? So the things that we do outside of Christ, they really don't have any meaning or eternal value. So, you might go to your job and you might work a good eight to five job and you might do all the good things that your boss requires and you might earn good, a good living and you might raise a good family. But what does it mean? What does it all mean if it's outside of the glory of God and a life lived for Jesus Christ? So, the reason why the flesh, uh, so the, the flesh. Characterized, or the, the life lived by the flesh is characterized by death, while those who are in Christ, their life is characterized by eternal life. It is characterized by uh, a, a being full of life and having meaning and purpose and uh, glorifying God in the way that we live. So the flesh will ultimately die but the spirit brings life and there's a reason why the flesh brings death and that leads me to my last pitfall of the flesh and we find that in verses seven and eight and paul gives this final condemnation of the mind that is set on the flesh by showing how how that corrupt mindset destroys our relationship with God. You see, the ultimate problem with a a mindset that that is set on the flesh, a fleshly mindset, the ultimate problem with that is not necessarily that we hurt other people, although that is a problem. It's not that we live in futility, although that is a problem. The ultimate problem with a fleshly mindset, a mindset that is set on our fleshly desires and turned away from the law of God, the ultimate problem with that is that it destroys our relationship with God. And so, Paul says in verses 7 and 8, first, he says that the fleshly mindset is hostile to, to God. Now, the Greek word for hostile is ektra, which means to hate or to have enmity with. It's the idea of being at war with something or someone. And so it's important that you understand this, especially if you've never trusted in Jesus Christ, because a lot of people think, well, you know, Brother Nathan. I, I tolerate the idea of God. I actually kind of like the idea of God. I like that there's a grandfather in heaven to watch out for me and give me what I need. I, 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 You know, and I'm nice to Christians. And I'll, I'll, hey, when a Christian's around, and especially you preacher, when you're around, I'll make sure that I clean my language up good. You know, and I don't say all those bad words. And I don't do, uh, I certainly don't say a curse word with God in front of it. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm really good about that. And uh, they might even go to church from time to time. You might say, you know, hey, I don't mind going to church and listening to a few songs that my mama used to sing. I, I, I get a lot out of that. And they might think that, you know, they're on God's side. Uh, I, you know, I vote for the right candidate. I, I don't like abortion. I don't like uh, the things that Christians don't like. Therefore, I must be OK. I have a, a, a relative who is agnostic. And uh, he and I get into a great uh, many conversations about God and it's a, great, it's a good opportunity to talk with him and I, we, I enjoy uh, the conversations that we have about God. But he uh, gets pretty offended when I tell him that it is not enough to say you don't know whether God exists or not. He, he thinks, well, you know, if I get to heaven... And it turns out that God exists and I get to heaven that God's going to accept me because I said I didn't say he didn't exist, you know, and therefore he ought to be OK with me because I didn't I didn't vote either way. You know, I was I just rode the fence my whole life and I, he ought to be OK with me because of that. And I tell him every time it's not enough to be on the fence. In fact, if you're on the fence, you're on the wrong side of it. And there is no fence with God. You are either with Him or you are without Him. And because you are without Him, that lack of commitment, that lack of faith in Jesus Christ, it's not ambivalence and it's not neutrality. It is hatred. That is the way Paul characterizes it. If you are outside of Christ, you are hostile With God. Second, Paul says that the fleshly mindset does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. So the person who has not submitted to Christ is living by the flesh and cannot faithfully obey the law from his or her heart. Now, that doesn't mean that everyone who is outside of Christ lives an immoral life. There are many people, Brother Harold was talking about it this morning in Sunday school. There are many people that we know that live good moral lives. They do good things for the community. They uh, might even act better than some of you or some of us in this church when it comes to living good moral lives as as civilization expects it. But they cannot be obedient to God in the way that is pleasing to Him. There's a fascinating passage in the book of Isaiah. In Isaiah chapter 1, verse 11, God says, Stop bringing me sacrifices. He says, Your sacrifices and your offerings, they do not please me. In fact, he later on says, They are a stench to me. Now, that's a weird statement if you think about it, because if you read the Old Testament law, God very clearly commands that the Israelites would bring him sacrifices and offerings. So how is it that God hates something that he commanded the Israelites to do? He hates it because as we read in Psalm 51 at the beginning of the service, they do not do it with a heart that is set on God. They do it because they're supposed to. They do it because it's socially popular to do it. They do it because their mama and their daddy raised them to do it. But they don't believe it. They don't desire it. They don't trust it. And therefore, God hates it. They cannot obey the law of God as he commands it because they cannot obey it from their heart. Thirdly, Paul says that the fleshly mindset cannot please God. So Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6 says that without faith, it is impossible to please God. You may think that your good works or your church attendance or your gifts to charity or your good habits can make you acceptable. But without faith in Jesus Christ, you cannot please God. So next, let's consider the benefits of living by the Spirit with my second point, which is the devotion of the Spirit. In verses 12 through 17, Paul explores the ways that the Spirit changes us and makes us right with God. So first, in verses 12 through 13, he says that we are debtors to the Spirit. This is the final answer to the question of why the Christian should live the Holy Spirit. Life. Why we should live in holiness before God. We should live in holiness because we are no longer under condemnation. We should live in holiness because we have been delivered from death and given eternal life. So we should live in holiness because we are indebted to the work of God in Jesus Christ. And we should live accordingly because of that. Because God has been so gracious to us, because he has loved us when we were unlovable and separated from him, because he has done what we could not do through his son, we should live in purity and holiness out of a sense of indebtedness to him. Not because our indebtedness somehow earns our salvation, but because we want to please him out of a sense of gratitude for what he has done. Second, in Christ, our position has changed. In verses 14 and 15, Paul says that our title has changed from that of a slave to that of a son. So I've said before that, uh, you know, the process of adopting harmony has taught us a lot of things about our relationship to God. And one of the things that's been really beautiful to watch is, Is uh, when we first got Harmony uh, uh, from her foster parents, she had grown up with the same foster parents for three years. And so she had learned to call her foster parents Mama and Daddy. And when we first got her, uh, she called us Nathan and Leah. And we struggled with, you know, how do we get her to call us Mama and Daddy? Do we command it, you know, and say, you will call us Mama and Daddy, stop calling your foster parents Mama and, and start calling us? Mama and Daddy? Do we um, just correct her every time that she calls us Nathan and Leah? Do we say, no, I'm not Nathan, I'm, I'm Daddy? And we finally settled on the idea of just starting to refer to each other as Mama and Daddy and start referring to her as daughter. You know, and and so when uh, Harmony would say, where's Leah? I would say, Mama's uh, in the kitchen. You know, and when Leah would Need to call me in for supper, she would say to Harmony, Go tell Daddy that it's time for supper. And it took about two months, but after about two months, she started calling us Mama and Daddy. We never corrected her. We never changed, you know, if she called us Nathan or or Leah, we never said anything about it. We just started calling her by who she was in our family, and we started talking about ourselves based on who we were to her, which is, We are her mama, and her daddy. So it's been a beautiful thing, and that whole experience has been a lesson to me in just what Paul is talking about here. When you come to faith in Jesus Christ, God declares you to be His child. He adopts you. Now there are times when we may be tempted to slide back into slavery and to live according to the flesh, but every time we do, God is still there to remind us that we are His children. And His love is poured out in us and to us through the presence of His Holy Spirit in our lives so that Paul says we learn through His Spirit to call out, Abba, Father. Now, the word Abba is Aramaic or Hebrew for Daddy. And Paul says in verse 16 that the Spirit bears witness to us to confirm that we are His children. Though we may forget or we may be prone to wonder or we may fall back into our old ways, God's Spirit still reminds us that we are His. So friend, there is no way to please God apart from faith in Jesus Christ. All of your righteousness is as filthy rags without Jesus. Won't you trust in Christ today and become a child of this merciful God who by grace has given His Son that you may have eternal life? Brothers and sisters, There is a real temptation whenever we fall back into sin to assume that God no longer loves us or wants us. There is a real temptation, and I've talked to numerous people about it. There's a real temptation to think that we can no longer pray. We can no longer worship. We can no longer serve. We can no longer be a good witness because we aren't worthy to be considered a child of God. But if you have trusted in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you have God's spirit dwelling in you as a result of your faith in Jesus Christ and his work in your heart uh, that testifies to who you are in Jesus Christ, then you are a child of God, regardless of how you feel. You are a child of God, not because of the things you've done, because we've already seen that God saves us while we were yet sinners. You are not a child of God because you uh, have somehow changed your your uh, outward appearance and you've become more holy and righteous because we've already seen that God has changed us, not based on who we were in Adam, but he now considers us based on who we are in Christ. If you struggle with the desires of your flesh and you keep going back to that same sin over and over again, you are not a child of God because you can somehow uh, have super uh, ability to resist your desires and to do right time and again. You are a child of God because he has declared you to be so. And it is because of Jesus and what He has done, and because of your faith in Him, that you are a son or a daughter of God, not because you keep uh, a, a tight rope on, uh, on your obedience to Him. You may feel unworthy. You may live with the regret of past sins or a sin that you keep coming back to, but you are a child of the king and he invites you to draw near to him, to call him your dad and to glorify him with your broken life and give faithful praise to him in the way that you now live. May we leave this place ready to live in holiness because we are God's. Children, Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the promise of God that we are his children. And because of the presence of his spirit in our lives, we are able to call out to him, not as a master, not as a, an austere ruler, but as our dad. Lord, may we uh, learn to call you dad not because of what we have done, but because of what you have done in adopting us as your children. Lord, may we understand that we uh, serve you not out of obligation, not out of a need to earn our way to heaven, but because we love you and we desire the things of God and we desire to do what is right because of what you have done for us. I pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.